0: now I sound like God. Well, good morning. let me pray for this. Father, I thank you for today, Lord, for all that you've given to us in our lives, our friendships, our communities. And now, Father, I invite you, the Holy Spirit, to come. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts that we can see and that we can understand what your word would say to us today. In Jesus name, Amen. right, Uh, As always, it's great to be here even though there's just a few of us. There's multitudes of angels and most of all there's Jesus Christ that is here today. And um, that's one of the things that we're supposedly taught in homiletics, uh, somewhere in there is that uh, we don't preach to you, we preach to Christ. And to the angels, so there's always a crowd. So one person, no people, it doesn't matter. If the Lord gives a, a, a preacher a word, he should give the word. You know, like I say if you come up and there's no word, you shouldn't give that. You should make up one. This is a word I think that Christ has uh, uh, given me. I started trying to come up with it in the beginning of the week and work through it, and finally it started coming, to, coming together. Actually late last night and then early this morning as I sat down and thought about it. Uh, I'm going to go across what I call four steps to a changed life. Now we all know these. This is nothing new. I'm not going to teach you anything new except maybe for one thing in here. Maybe two if we get real lucky. But of course the first step of, a, of our lives being changed is that we have accepted Christ as our Savior and uh, depending on who you was. Talking to you about the day you received Christ, he, was, uh, he probably told you, Steve, you know, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior?" And we, of course, we said yes. The Lord thing is kind of iffy, I think, because nobody ever explains that to us what that really means, and what, what when we say those words, we will kind of eventually hear something, or we will kind of figured out in our own heads to an extent because Lord is a word that, you know, Lord is like this guy that's up here above you and like you're under him and you're obedient uh, to the Lordship of whatever, you know. Uh, In the days of Christ and stuff and in the first few hundred years there there were men that were called lords and when you lived under their reign, you was to be obedient to them. So we sometimes we kind of have this tendency to think in those terms, which is part of it, but not all of it. So I'm going to go through a bunch of scriptures real quick. Uh, so if you want to write them down and then come back and make sense out of them after I get through butchering them, you're very welcome to. The first, ones would, well, first one would be Ephesians 2, 4, 8. says, and God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up to up with him seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches, riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's a typical... Most even, people who do evangel, you know, that are doing evangelization will use this scripture. Especially if they're coming from the, the uh, kind of the Baptist background and other backgrounds. To emphasize that you're saved by grace through faith. But they usually stop there. And so you know, you're saved. They want you to realize you're not saved by what you do, who you are, or anything like that. You're saved by grace through faith. But they have a tendency to stop that, stop right there, and they never shouldn't because it says through faith in that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so that's one of the things that have to remember that we're saved and our life is really transformed when we understand that it's by grace and it's through a faith that's not even our own faith. Previous to accepting Christ, you had no faith. But then Christ gives you this little tiny morsel of faith that draws you to, to revival meetings and to churches until He opens your ears and eyes and you hear the gospel and that faith blossoms and it still is His faith blossoming in your heart because He's opened your eyes and He's opened your ears. You have to remember that because you may be sitting in a group of five or you may be sitting in a group of 500 or a group of 5,000. I've never been in a meeting where every person there came to Christ. It's only those who He puts that faith in their hearts to begin to blossom. And they begin to react to that little tiny bit of faith by hearing the Word. And that faith grows. And then they go, wow, I got it. Jesus came to save for me. He came and died on the cross for me. In Colossians, if I can find Colossians, I put all these notes in my Bible, they've all half of them have fallen out. That's terrible for a guy like me. And this is this is all just very foundational stuff. But I'm wanting to set a foundation for so what I'm going to try to say. Colossians two twelve through fifteen. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which were hostile to us, He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he, had disarmed, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities and made, a, and made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, and through himself. So these are very really familiar from your first days of being a Christian. and You heard these words here. And then unfortunately, in the church, we kind of, it depends on the church you're in, but it kind of ends there all there is and the rest of it is just you know preaching from different points in the word but we're not really taught very well the very foundational parts of Christianity this is just the beginning you know when you build a building you go and you buy a piece of land if you're going to build a building and that's what Christ has done he came and he bought us he paid the price him himself totally, completely. There was no debt owed on that property that he purchased. It's a total payment that's been done. But then there has to be a foundation laid. There's certain things that take place. You have to go up, survey the property, the proper place to put the building, lay out the building then uh, you shoot it in with transits and other instruments or whatever and lay out the foundation and put in the foundation and once the foundation is put in properly in place square and all that stuff then the building begins most of Christianity there's not a foundation other than is you know Jesus died for your sins on the cross and that he did but the foundation that we seem to like teaching in the church is that we have died with Him, and He now lives His life through us. You may have heard that said, but did they really tell you what that meant? See, in my own life, my own life experiences, and what I see in many, many others, and, and what, one of the things that Bishop's doing, that is to me is like the most wonderful and remarkable thing, is teaching that it is no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Now, how does that work? you know I heard that in the past and I was like I, I don't understand this so I spent most of my life not understanding it because I didn't see the example of it I didn't see someone really living that out in a way that spoke to me that, that said this is how it works and it actually does work because see so much of the time in Christianity we get saved we join a church and then we have this long period of time that if we're young or even if we're old, we start reading and we go running to our Sunday school teacher or to a preacher and, and go, wow, I read this in the scripture. And I, you know, like, can you explain this to me? And you may have read something like, if your hands offend you, cut it off. And so they, they'll spend two hours explaining to you to not believe that, to just not believe that. You know? And I'm, telling, I'm not trying to tell you to believe that. But they'll just basically, it's all the explanation is about don't believe that. Don't believe that. It's not that he wasn't serious about that. And they don't ever get, really get around to saying he was serious as a heart attack. That, that it should be that serious to you. That it should be totally serious. It shouldn't be any of that way. That was just a cute saying. And we regulate it to being a cute saying. And so much of what's in scripture, that's what we do. We regulate it. When I was very young, had received Christ, I went to a uh, Baptist preacher and I said, I, read, I was reading in, in the Bible about this Holy Spirit business. And it said, you know, that they, uh, Jesus told them, don't, don't do anything, just hang out until you, the Spirit comes and you're given power. Uh, and I was going, what? And I mean, I told him, I said, well, you know, and so what does all this mean? This baptism of the Holy Spirit and stuff. And so he spent two hours trying to convince me that it was, it wasn't really, really real. That it was just something that happened mysteriously that I had no clue about and didn't need to know anything about it. And that all the stuff that was related to the Holy Spirit, it ended when the last apostle died, and yada, 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 yada. And many years, I talked to different religious people and got these explanations about the holy spirit and many many other things in the scripture the uh, one of the things that i had done before being a christian is i had stolen us uh, in florida we called them bug lights they were uh, black lights with a electrical screen and the black light of course just drew mosquitoes and you know, all kinds of bugs to it more than any other light would and then it would, then the screen would electrocute the bugs and get rid of the bugs. So I stole them because I wanted to black lot. I didn't care about killing the mosquitoes, but I just wanted to black lot. But when God really got hold of me and convicted me of uh, so many things, I repented, and I was moving out of a little apartment into a communal living with other Christians, and I was getting rid of stuff, throwing away stuff, and I was going to throw this thing away, and I just couldn't do it. I had to, you know, God's convicted, and the Lord told me to take it back and give it back to the people you stole it from. So I went back to this, it was kinda like a a dairy cream kind of a place. And uh, went up and said, is your owner, manager here? And so they said, yeah. I said, "Can I need to talk to him. So, you know, he he was coming out the back, so I got the, the bug thing and took it and made him at the back and I said, I stole this from you. And God's convicted me that I need to give this back to you. And so this man, not a Christian, he began to explain to me the first words out of his mouth was like, of course, well, thank you for doing that. I admire you for doing that, but, but don't become a fanatic. You know? And I'm thinking, looking at him going like, if I had gotten kind of a little bit fanatic here, I wouldn't be standing here giving this back to you knowing that you could have me arrested and put in jail and then maybe go back and go to prison based on the cost of this object. So, so much of our very first part of our Christian life, we're taught to not really believe what it says in the word. In so many different ways. And so when we come to the words in Colossians, uh, or or let's go to Galatians 2. By the time we kind of get there, we're we're pretty well confused. And so when we read Galatians 2.20 It says, I have been crucified with Christ and is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We're never really told that. That that is is the Word of God and we need to take it literally and seriously. Until Christ begins to, to live His life, or if we're told anything, that's just what we're told. We say, well, you've been crucified with Christ. And now, Jesus lives in you. But we usually are stopped at that point. We don't, it don't. We don't really go on and go. But the life, the life, my life, what I do today in the flesh is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. So well, that's really the second part of the thing that we need to learn is that I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I that lives, but it is Him. And back to back to Galatians, which I, of course I move my piece of paper. I have to hunt down now. But in Galatians uh, one twenty six, I mean not Galatians, Colossians one twenty six. 27 we read these words, that is, the mystery which has now been hidden from the past ages and generations has now been manifested to His saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now think about that. This is a mystery that was hidden for generations. And this is something that God has done. He willed, God willed, to make known what is the richest of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, it's Christ in us. This is the whole purpose. Well, well, the whole purpose is God can be summed up in that. that it is for the purpose of Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is only Christ living His life in us, through us, by faith by him by his working that glory can be brought to God because otherwise we're doing everything ourselves and we know that anything that we do any righteousness whatsoever is is as filthy rags so the glory of God is made made present and made manifest in Christ himself and Christ is in, in you and that's the whole hope of glory Christ has placed everything in you. He, he does not have another plan. Yeah, you ever thought about that? There's no plan. There's no plan past us. The plan of God was to redeem us. And there's not like plan B if we blow it. So His, his hope of glory, His hope of being glorified, the hope of His kingdom on earth, His kingdom being made present, the hope of Christ being made present, is Christ in us. In Colossians 2nd uh, chapter again, beginning with verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, well, that's if you've been buried, you're pretty dead. You should no longer exist. There should no longer be in existence of you. You know, my mom and dad, they're dead. The only thing that's left is there's a piece of marble with their name on it. Their presence is no longer relative to the world in any way are no longer in the world. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us and he has taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross and we when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him. So this is the thing that we need to to come back to is because you cannot live the Christian life. It's impossible. Only Christ came as truly man and lived the perfect christian life through the power of the holy spirit that's one of the things we have to learn too many people say well but jesus was god yes he was but he chose not to live as god he'd made a choice at every point to not take on divinity to live as god in that moment instead he lived by the power of the holy spirit being upon him and in him. That's why he was baptized. That's why it said John saw a dove descending on him and that the Holy Spirit rested on him. Everything he did, he did as a man. As a man. Just like you. Just like me. He didn't do anything different than what we can do. But he did it because he was fully, completely filled with the Holy Spirit and he understood that he could live a life as a man by the power of God and not of himself. So we need to get that so that we don't run around with all these excuses that's why we don't live the Christian life. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to let Christ live it by the power of the Holy Spirit that you've been baptized in. Those are things that are essential to us that that we have to get Otherwise, our Christian life is is so much like a yo-yo. And now, Christian life will always be somewhat like a yo-yo. But, you know, most of our Christian life is like a, a, I don't know, it's kind of like a Super Bowl. Remember the old Super Bowls where you could toss them and they'd like bounce forever and ever like crazy? Well, that's the way most of us live our Christian life, you know. It's like a Super Bowl and when we sin, it gets thrown on the floor. It doesn't just come back to here. It goes way up there. Back back down here and it says bam, bam. That's the way most of us lead our Christian life. Now, our Christian life will always have up and down. But it shouldn't be like way up here, way down there, way up here, way down there. We should get to this place where it's Christ in you living that life. And then it becomes more of a gentleness. Just like this. Because He's living His life. When it gets extreme, it's because we're living our life. And He's not living His life anymore. Now the key to Christ living His life in you is it was so simple. And it took me forever to figure it out. And I didn't really figure it out. It just dawned on me one day. Because I used to read stuff about this. I read all the, a lot of the guys from Keswick. The great authors from Keswick. Uh, to- you know, Tozer and others. Knee. And all these guys, and all of them talked about Christ in you, the hope of glory, living, the Christ living His life in you, rather than you living your life with Him living His life. And I always thought, well, I'm, I'm missing it. I don't, I don't understand because I wasn't experiencing it. And I just, you know, I just kept looking to find an understanding, and all. And Jesus nowhere in any of this scripture says when you understand it you'll get it and you'll live it. He just said this is the way it is. Now you just got to believe it. Well as a good Westerner I don't like to believe anything that I can't understand and we need to get that out of our system. We just need to simply believe the Word of God and we don't need to believe each other. We don't need to believe somebody else. We just need to go, well, what does the Word of God says? What does it say? And then that's what I need to believe. You know, and if God so chooses, one day I may understand that. But it, do- it doesn't matter, I need to believe it. Because remember now, You just you, to become a Christian, you, may, you believe one of the most ridiculous things possible to believe. Is that a dead man, dead three days, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That's pretty bizarre. You can't prove it. There's no scientific evidence that that can happen, or did happen. You just have to let God put that little bit of faith where you begin to believe that reality. And the whole Christian life is the same way. And I think it's in Colossians, Paul tells them, so did you begin by the law by the understanding, by the letter of the law, the written down word on paper. Did, it, did you begin that way? Or did you begin in the spirit? And I can guarantee you when those people were like pretty freaked out by this whole idea. You know, it just totally scandalized the Jews. And the Greeks thought it was hilariously stupid that a man would die on a cross for their sins those are the things that we have to get first. The problem is that we usually get this whole deal going backwards. And so usually the order is we accept Christ and then somewhere along the line, someone starts talking to us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it kind of seeps in, or this is something that's real because you're experiencing failure as a Christian, you're like, you're like that super ball bouncing everywhere, out of control, you know, you love the Lord, the Lord did some stuff for you and you know His reality because you've been confronted with the reality of Christ, but you have no ability to live the Christian life. Because you have no idea that the Christian life is not lived out here. The Christian life is lived, first lived in here in your heart. And then letting that and trust in God and believing God for that life to begin to be lived. Because we're not taught that. So usually what we do is we get confronted with someone talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now once you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you receive power from on high. And so we before learning what is really the foundation, we start building the building on top of nothing. And so we, we experience it in God's grace. You know, if I if if I was doing it, I would be like, no, nope, you can't go any farther until you get this. No baptism for you until you get this. And matter of fact, that was really the story of my life. Because I realized I was failing constantly as a Christian. I was in the yo-yo of being a Christian. You know? one, you know, one, one week I was like, you know, uh, repenting of my sin and asking God to fill my heart again. And I was really wanting to love Jesus and follow him. And then the next, next week somebody you know, brought some really good drugs into town and so I was smoking dope again and doing LSD and stuff. You know? Because I didn't have a foundation to rely back on. But that is Christ is in me. So I don't need that stuff. I don't need that nonsense of trying to medicate, self-medicate the fear and the loneliness and the self-hatred and stuff that I was trying to deal with. Because no one ever told me that to really the way to deal with that is to know that Christ chose to live His life in you. And it doesn't say like, well, you know, Christ is living his life in you, but buddy, when you blow it, he's out of there. No. Even when we blow it, Christ is still living, he's there, wanting to live his life in us. That's why somewhere in that process, you wake up whenever and you go, oh my gosh. God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And he goes, I know, and I love you. Let's get on with it. Live in my, let me live my life in you and, and, and through you. And the only way that we can really do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we're in a proper sequence, I think, I believe that we would have that part down, the theological part that we were new and stuff, and then with the power of the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we'd receive power to not only do miracles but to live the Christian life because see it's a lot harder to live the Christian life than it is to pray for someone to be healed and then be healed because we keep trying to live the Christian life and we know when we pray for somebody at least if we don't we'll figure it out pretty quick when we pray for somebody it has nothing to do with us we know that because we pray for people all the time that are never healed so if it had something to do with me, if I could pray for you know, two or three people and they get healed, well then I could figure it out and then everybody I prayed for would be healed. But it's not me. It's Christ living His life. And He chooses when He desires to manifest that grace and that healing to people through whoever He desires. And you, I mean, we go to Africa and we see so many people healed, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just totally, I mean, we see hundreds and hundreds of people healed every day. You know, because we get to pray sometimes for like literally, you know, we pray for three to four hours. A team of 12 or 14 people praying for people. So we see, and we see, you know, I'll be extremely conservative. We see about 80% success rate for healing. And if you really, you could push that to 90%. But I'll give down to 80. 80% of hundreds of people. On a typical day like that, I'll probably pray for somewhere between 50 and 80 people. And so I see whatever 80% of that is, 50, 60, whatever. I'll see that many people healed of different things. But then when I come back here and pray for people, I don't see that kind of success. So that's obviously it's not me, because after seeing that many people healed every day for two weeks, I, you know, you should have it figured out if it's possible to figure it out how you can do this. It doesn't work that way. It's only him doing that. And when you're over, one of the, maybe one of the th- reasons for that is that when we're over in African places like that, life is just so weird. It doesn't uh, resemble life here. You're always uh, uh, taking these long trips, sometimes being totally miserable because of the road conditions or the vehicle conditions. Then you get someplace, there's no air conditioning, you're out, out under tents and trees, or maybe inside of a building if you're lucky, or maybe if you're unlucky, you're inside of a building because it gets even hotter in the buildings than it does under, under a tree. It, it's, you're just so, your flesh is so weak. That you're depending on God just to sustain you, and so maybe that's the difference. Is that we are forced to let Christ live this life in us and through us, and when He does, people are being healed. We come back here. We've got air conditioning, insurance, money to buy stuff with, and, and stuff for. In Africa, you can have all the money you want, and sometimes you, you can't buy nothing because there's nothing to buy. You know, it's like, man, I want a Coke. Nearest Coke is two miles away. <laughs> you know. So, it's a different life there than it is here. And we're kind of forced in allowing Christ to really live this life. To just sustain us. So it's not us. It's Him. And that's the purpose of the... I believe that that's one of the main purposes of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus told told them, uh, and, uh, and John, to just wait and to their empowerment. Well, they knew Him face-to-face, touch-to-touch, hand-to-hand, kiss-on-cheek-to-kiss-on-cheek, and yet He tells them to wait. If anybody should have ever known how to live their life with Christ in them living it not them, it should have been those guys. And they were pretty clueless until after receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit so when we look in John and Luke, we, we find these things. And I'm not going to, I'll just read you my takes on them real quick. My, uh, but you can look them up. John 14 and then John 16. Uh, John 14 it says, He will teach you and bring to your remembrance. But He will teach you. And see, that's one of our problems as Westerners particularly in this time of history is that we don't wait for Jesus to teach us anything. We run to the bookstore or amazon.com and find the book. You would think that if we're, this, if we're as smart as we think we are, that we would look at that, look at the books on the shelves or look at the list on Amazon and realize there's like a hundred books trying to tell me how to do this and, you know, there's, they're all different. So how, how can books teach us? They can. And Christ can use those but we first our hearts got to be for the Lord to teach us for us to be open to the Lord to teach us and so even when we read a book we always have to remember it's the Lord that teaches us no matter what the book is but that book has to line up with scripture it can't deny scripture in any way See, we have two plumb lines Christ himself is our plumb line and scripture is our plumb line and so that's what we live our life by, not by the teachings of Dr. So-and-so from whatever book. Although those can could, those could be really good to help us open our minds to what the Holy Spirit would say. But that's not our dependency. But in the West, it tends to be our dependency. One of the biggest things that I've, in the last year or two that I was working, and I was in uh, architectural woodwork, is we started hiring guys in that didn't know nothing, you know. But they had watched they had watched uh, Norm on TV build something. And so they'd come in and try to tell, because they'd watched a video and went to YouTube and saw some guy do something, and then they'd come and try to tell us guys that had been doing it for 30 or 40 years how to do it. it Driving me nuts. Because they didn't know nothing. They'd never done it, but they'd watched a the video. And so there they were the experts at doing it we do that to Jesus we read a book listen to a sermon watch a video and then we know more than what it says in here we need to believe Jesus we need to believe what he's given us in his word and that's the purpose of the one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit the other is that we can actually live the Christian life Jesus didn't start being ministering until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But we need the same thing. But too many of us are, are taught from the old Pentecostal world and, and from the charismatic world is that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit so that you can go do signs and wonders and pray for people and then be healed and that kind of stuff. Now those are just what happens when Jesus lives his life in you. But we kind of get this idea. Well, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit so I can go out and, and conquer the world now. I can go out and, and do this and do this. It's, but, it's, but it's based on who? Who's doing it? I. I. We need to get that thinking out of our head. That anything that we can do for Christ, God, the kingdom of God, is only done by the Holy Spirit. Living, letting Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, that Christ can live His life through us and in us and manifest His glory in us and through us. So those are the three things. And the other, and the fourth thing, uh, and not everybody ever comes to this realization, is our Eucharist. It's, it's, it's in our Eucharist. Because these are the, th- the the reason I see these things this way is because these are the four things that have changed my life radically over the years. You know, I started out as I got saved, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then for like a years, Christ was trying to teach me what it meant for Him to actually live His life and not for me to live my life so much. And I'm still on that that, that I'm still in that class 101 Jesus living His life. That's a lifelong thing. And I'm still trying to make that happen and figure it out how I can be, be more and more and more and more consistent for me. And the only thing I know is I have to just simply believe what He said. Even when I'm not manifesting it, He said it. And so who's right? Who's right, Him or me? You know, that's pretty simple you know, question to answer. Well, it's Him. I just have to believe it and then pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to work that in me so that it happens. It just happens. It's just like when you got saved, it just happened. You know? You didn't fill out a form. You know? They didn't have like a 12 step program on the floor for you to walk through to get saved. You know? It wasn't like, you know? It just somehow, it happened. When asking most people, well, I'd say, well, yeah, you know, most people, when I ask them, well, explain to me how you got saved, and they start blinking. And then they come up with, well, Billy Graham was preaching this sermon, and I gave my life to Jesus. I so, tell me how you got saved. So you didn't do anything, you just got saved. God's grace descended on you. He gave you that tiny bit of faith. He opened your eyes, He opened your ears, and you went down. And in the midst of repenting of your sins and weeping and crying, or however it went for you, something happened, totally unrelated to you, in that sense. His grace poured out upon you, and He washed you clean by His blood. And you got up going, I'm free, I'm free. I'm free. I've never felt this clean before in my life." And it wasn't because you walked through the proper program, jumped through the proper hoops, said the proper words or anything. It was because of His grace and the faith that He gave you that it happened. Now, how did that happen? It's a mystery. It's a mystery as to how Christ could take someone that walked in such a depth of sin and depravity as I did and change my life and actually live inside of me. To me, that's the miracle of the Eucharist. My greatest theological statement that I've ever made was the first time I walked into a CEC church in Birmingham and met Jim Pinto. You know, and I didn't know know much about the CEC church just that it it had to be a bunch of wackos. I mean, you can't get a more wacky name than Charismatic Episcopal, you know, the ultimate oxymoron, church, you know, like it should be, you know, like, a church should be Christian, but I'm not even, I, I'm totally not sure about the Episcopalians, and I've survived a lot of Charismatics, I'm not sure about a lot of them, even being saved, and that's about all I knew. But I did know that they had had what I called the Lord's Supper or communion every Sunday. And I hadn't had communion in a long time. And it, and it always had a special place in the heart. And so I came in, met Jim Pinto and a couple of other guys. And I said, you know, and I, of course, they knew I was a visitor and we were just talking. I said, you, And so I told Jim, I said, I'd like to take communion. So I haven't had communion in a long time. So I'd like to take communion, but I don't, I don't want to offend your church. Because I'm not really sure what you guys believe. I mean, you're a charismatic, which tells me like you're nuts. And you're Episcopal, which tells me that you're probably not even a Christian. So I didn't really say it that way to him. But I just said, I don't understand. And, uh, but I don't want to offend. You know, if me taking communion would be offensive to the people in the church, I don't want to cause people offense or stumbling. And uh, so he said, Well, so well, what we believe is that uh, you, you need to be baptized, you need to be walking in relationship with Jesus Christ, and we believe that in the elements of bread and wine is the real presence of Christ. That he said, This is my body, we believe that is his body. He said, This is my blood, and we believe that it's his blood. If you can believe that, 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 that he's in the elements, his presence is real. If you can believe that, you're more than welcome at, at the table. And I thought about that because I'd never even heard that concept before. Because you know? I never like went to an Episcopal church. And boy, charismatic churches definitely never say that in any way, shape, or form. So I thought about that for a few minutes. And then by God's grace, and the, my eyes being opened, and the tiny bit of faith being dropped in, I looked at Him and I said, well... If Christ can dwell in me, He can dwell in anything He chooses. Because I don't know of anything on this earth that is more sinful and prone to sin than me. Think about that. If Christ can dwell in you, why should we ever have any thought about Him dwelling, His presence being in bread and wine? I don't know about y'all, but I think it's far harder for him to be in me than it is for him to be in the elements. Because they have no sin. None. They're just simple bread. It's just simple wine. They're sinless in that aspect. That's easy because they don't have a soul or a spirit until they're consecrated. So the Eucharist, as I begin to understand the Eucharist, and understood the power of the Eucharist. It changed my life. That was really the beginning. I went I went from step one to step three to step four. And now, or, well, yeah, and so now I'm going back to step two. Yeah. My relationship and my understanding has been out of order. I cannot live the Christian life without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But without being letting Christ live His life in me by the power of the Holy Spirit, my walk is so up and down and so traumatizing to me until I begin to just let Him live His life and understand how great His love is for me, that He's always there, never leaving me nor forsaking me. His love is eternal. And I was like, I had not read the New Testament lesson for the day, and all of that was in the New Testament lesson. I was like, wow, that's cool. So it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's not in us wearing stuff. It's not in us cutting our sin down slowly. You know, like we've all, every one of us, every one of us is still having to deal with a sin of some kind that we had before we became a Christian. Every one of us. I'm 69 years old. That leaves me pretty hopeless on my own. I mean, I can't deal with a simple sin like getting mad. Like judging people. Being impatient. Just those little simple sins. I I manifest all of those sins at one time during every week. Sometimes every day. Multiple times even. Because I'm trying to do it. I'm not allowing Him to do it. I forget. Instead of just collapsing at His feet as I put the cross and going, Christ, only you can conquer sin and death in me. But as I've discovered these, these things, it's, it's, uh, my life is changing. The Eucharist, I see it when we do Eucharist. I've watched other clergy do it, and I hope God gives me the grace to stop doing the Eucharist when it becomes a ritual. When it doesn't personally, when I look at the elements, when I say this is my body, this is, that when that doesn't personally do something, in me. Now it doesn't every single time, you know. Things come up, run to start running late, need to get done, got something to do, somebody else has something to do, and they're giving me that look like shut up, let's go. Uh, and I don't have that full engagement. But I, I when I do have that full engagement, it's just, it, it it changes my life right there. There's many times when doing the Eucharist, I'm holding back tears because the impact it has on me. Because when you read the words, and that's my suggestion to everybody, is read the words. Read the words. Don't just say the words. But engage every part of your senses. Engage your whole senses into reading those words And let the Holy Spirit make them come alive to you. That's why at the end of our Eucharist when we raise the the host and the child together and say, Behold God's love. Behold the love of God. Those two words, saying those two words, devastate me. Because that's the simplicity of what Christ has done. Is all we have to do is just simply behold Him, and the rest of it starts happening. It's when we get our eyes off of Him, our eyes on ourselves, or our eyes on somebody else, that we fall away, and we begin to live. Try to live our life out of our wisdom and our understanding, which are nothing. In His, we can never get away from that it's Christ, and Christ alone, through grace, through faith, that we're saved, and not just wish that God went ahead and put in there, it's through grace, through faith, not of yourselves, that you have any hope whatsoever of living the Christian life. So that we would... But he he did put all that, just not right after that. He did put it in so many different ways. Is, I am crucified with Christ, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. So, anyway, hope that makes a little bit of sense, guys. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.